0: when I took data and made it something people could see, it hit home in different ways.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Enrico Bertini and I am a professor at NYU in New York City where I do research
2: in data visualization. Right, and my name is Moritz Stefana, and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. And in this podcast we talk about data visualization,
1: analysis, and generally the role that data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with a guest we invite on the show.
2: Right, but uh, before we start, just a quick note, as usual. uh, Our podcast, as you might know, is listener-supported, so there are no Mm -hmm. ads. But that also means if you do enjoy the show, please consider supporting us. Uh, You can either do that with recurring payments uh, on patreon.com slash datastories. So you can set up a recurring uh, donation, basically, every time we publish an episode, a little thank you. Or you can send us a one-time donation on paypal.me slash datastories. And if you don't have any spare money, that can happen too. We are also happy about any about a review. <laughs> First of all, it's totally fine, right? So, uh, but if you have the time, you can maybe write an e- uh, review on iTunes or send a nice tweet or something. Uh, that makes us happy too. So, <laughs> anything, yeah. anything helps. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> what's going on, Enrico? Any news? It's all good. So the semester is
1: starting here. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of a busy time, but it's it's good to be back. And uh, I also have a little bit of an announcement, so I now can finally make it public. Uh-huh. I have been working for several months <laughs> on... um on a Coursera course on information visualization. And this is now uh, public and uh, we are all really excited. (laughs) So actually it's not even just a course. Coursera is a thing that is called specialization. Mm -hmm. And a specialization is a group of courses. So if you wanna learn about information visualization, that's basically a sort of evolved version, online version of the course that I've been teaching um, here at NYU for a number of years and um, plus additional things that I normally don't do in class so it's uh, it's all brand new wow and um, yeah we are really excited about it so if you are curious uh, we are, we're gonna put a link in the in the show notes mm-hmm. and go there it's for free it's free if you want right wow so hey. the way Coursera cor- works is that if you want to get um a certificate in the end you have to pay some some amount and mm-hmm. um, But But just consuming the course is fine. Consuming the course is fine. So just go
2: there and let me know if you like it or not. I think that's one of the really crazy developments of the internet age. You can learn, like you know, from anybody around the world. It's so cool. Yeah. Right. So I, I learned uh, linear algebra from my MIT professor, and at the time, I was that blew yeah. my mind. You know, it's like wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And now that's... you can learn database from Enrico. So look at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. that's perfect. That's, that's awesome. I'll, I'll take a look at the course for sure.
1: Yeah, please do.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Anything else? No, I think we just briefly want to reiterate that we will be in Berlin for uh, InfoPlus and Tripoli uh, Viz. Yeah. And we are trying to set up a meetup. So if you happen to be in the region, uh, come visit us, right? October
2: 22 evening... Yeah, Berlin. yeah, 2018,
1: yeah. I should mention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and look, even if you are not participating to any of these conferences, you can still uh, um, come to the meetup. So let us know because yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we want to see as many people as possible, right? Totally. Okay, so without further ado, we can introduce our guest for today. I'm really, really happy to have... Cole Nussbaumer, Netflix, on the show. Hey, Cole, how are you? Hey, Cole.
0: Hi there. I'm great, thanks.
1: So we've been meeting each other a few times around um, in the US or, or even around the world. I can't yeah. remember, and and I'm and, and several times we said you should come over. And yeah, I'm so happy that you are you are on the show finally. Yeah,
0: I'm excited uh, to be talking with you both. Yes,
2: <laughs> finally so, we have storytelling with data on data stories. <laughs> yeah. Like we exactly. yeah, needed to happen at some point, right? <laughs> right. Needed that, that to the <laughs> big.
1: Crossover. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, Cole is uh, what, an instructor, an author, a blogger, a podcaster, and probably much more than that. So can you, can you briefly introduce our, yourself and let our listeners know a little bit about you and, and what you do in visualization?
0: Sure. So I help people and organizations make graphs that make sense. Uh, I wrote a book called Storytelling with Data, a data visualization guide for business professionals uh, that was published just about three years ago now. Uh, And I spend most of my time, or I should say we spend most of my time, uh, of our time, historically it's been just me, uh, but have been growing a a small team over the past year. Uh, We spend most of our time teaching workshops where we'll go into an organization and spend half a day or a day with a group talking about how do you make a graph that makes sense, right? So Mm -hmm. it's data visualization best practices, but then going beyond just the data viz and thinking really about our audience and our message and how do we not just show data, but weave data into a story. Mm -hmm. Uh, So most of this is private workshops, uh, but then we also do public workshops. Uh, We have uh, some in the U.S. coming up in San Francisco, Milwaukee, New York, uh, London in the fall. And then uh, we'll be also hitting Australia, New Zealand in 2019. Wow.
2: A Real world tour, really. Yeah, it's cool. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe a bit about your background. So how did you actually get started with Wiz, and how how did you catch the the Wiz bug? <laughs> yeah. So
0: my background, uh, educationally, is in mathematics. Uh, out of undergrad, I started working in the exciting world of banking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was credit risk management, uh, and so was doing uh, you know technical stuff of building statistical models to forecast you know when somebody not going to pay us? How much are they not going to pay? Mm-hmm. Doing scenario testing to try to understand whether our reserve levels were adequate and in what sort of scenarios uh, we'd need to adjust. And so for me, the visualization piece really started off as a way to bring some creativity into an environment that otherwise didn't seem so creative to me. <laughs> uh, And then I started to see that when I took data and made it something people could see, it just hit home in different ways. And, uh, And I also found that when I spent more time playing around with how I showed the data, people tended to spend more time looking at the data. So it Mm -hmm. was this self-reinforcing cycle uh, of, you know, some creativity and uh, mixing that with the data piece. Uh, Then the subprime crisis happened and Mm -hmm. uh, banking was not such an awesome place to be. (laughs) So I stepped back, this was uh, 2007, stepped back and thought, okay, what are the skills I have? Uh, Where else might I apply those and started just applying to jobs. And I came across this one description for people analyst that was super intriguing Mm because I'd never really thought of the idea of applying data to people, right, Mm -hmm. to employees. Uh, and ended up getting this job uh, at Google um, when the um, people analytics team there, uh, which is an analytics team in HR, it was just forming. So it was tiny. Um, and it was really interesting to see all the parallels between what I'd been doing in the banking world and what we could do with people data, right? So you figure somebody defaulting on a loan, deciding not to pay you. It's actually quite similar to somebody deciding they're going to leave the organization and not work there anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I started applying some of these same sort of uh, statistics to people data. Uh, and then the visualization piece stuck with me through that um, in terms of just continuing to play around at first and sort of became our team's uh, go-to person uh, for brainstorming or uh, sketching out different ideas. And then at one point we were building an internal training program at Google and I got asked, would you like to build a course on data visualization, um, which was really- really fun um, because it meant I could pause and start to do some research and understand, you know, why does some of the things, why do some of the things I've landed on through trial and, or, and error over time, why do some work and some don't? And, you know, what's some of the theory behind how people see? And that's really uh, where sort of everything started. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Very nice. And um, I'm, I'm just curious to, to know a little bit more about I think when I look at, at the type of work that you do, you seem to be one of those um lucky people who managed to to set up um, um and own a business in visualization right yeah. and um and that that's great and um so how 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 did this work how did you how did you think about initially about setting up a business on your own and and make it successful?
0: Yeah. I, I've been very fortunate because there was never a point where I thought, you know what, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to just go on my own and do this. It, it sort of just mm-hmm. came about out of the work that I was doing at Google. Uh, mm-hmm. so developed a course at Google. It was a short course focused on, you know, how do you make a good graph? Basically, uh, traveled to our offices around the world teaching this and then started recognizing it. Well, I guess, first off, a couple of people reached out outside of Google to say, hey, can you come mm-hmm. to talk to our organization or can you mm-hmm. come speak at this conference? Uh, so I started speaking on these topics outside of Google. This would have been back like 2009, 2010 uh, and started recognizing, hey, this isn't a need that's just at Google. And even at Google, one of the things I was uh, interested in seeing was the participants at the, the trainings. You, you know, we'd have engineers and salespeople, people with totally different backgrounds and skill sets and desire or reasons for wanting to be communicating with data and came to recognize that the the, the core lessons sort of are the core lessons. They're not mm-hmm. specific to a given role or a given industry. And really these are things that anyone could be doing uh, to have greater impact when they are communicating with data. Mm-hmm. And so had the opportunity to do a couple um, conference sessions outside of Google and was lucky that we're just sort of spread from there. I'd started a blog around the same time. So I had people, something to refer people to. And then I was very lucky in that I had a super supportive uh, management chain at Google. And they said, you know what, we we totally support this, you know, do this in your off time, use your own equipment, create your own materials and, uh, you know, see where it takes you. And so for the first year plus, I was using, you know, every vacation minute I had to go and talk to anybody who (laughs) wanted to listen to me because I still at that point couldn't believe, right? People, Wanted to hear what I wanted to what I had to say about how to do this, uh, yeah. and so um, yeah, it was all over the place at the beginning, uh, and then I made the decision to leave Google in 2012 because at that point it, there, I'd seen the ramp up, I'd seen that there's demand there, I'd seen that I could I could connect with the demand, and that there seemed to be a market here. So by the mm. time I left Google, yeah. it was already sort of proven. So I didn't have to make that jump that most mm. people have to oh, make when it comes yeah. to going from corporate uh, corporate world a secure job to really risky starting it on your own because I'd already been able to do a lot of that while I was at Google which was really uh, Mm -hmm. fortunate.
2: Yeah it sounds like a very organic like you know gradually building it up and building up momentum until you could could make the leap. Yeah yeah Yeah. that's cool yeah and then um, yeah you went into like self-employment and probably started to work on the book as well probably because that must have taken a while
0: yeah, so the, it it, yeah. W- the workshops came first, right? And so they, they grew out of you know what started as a ninety-minute course at Google to half a day, and then you know before long, I found I had more than I what that I wanted to say than I could say in half a day, and then it was a day. And so uh, over time, the the lessons that I was teaching codified, and that that's really what the book came out of is uh, you know taking the lessons that that I cover in workshops and expanding on those and showing them through various examples across different industries. Uh, and yeah, spending a lot of time writing and reworking and trying to uh, make it something that makes sense to somebody else.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think the book made was probably then the, the biggest breakthrough in the sense that it suddenly made you uh popular to a much wider audience again or at least you on my radar you appeared with the book yeah uh, yeah is, the that, is that sort of was that like a uh, another like was it just another small step or was it really like this quantum leap in a way
0: I think for me, it was part of the natural evolution. Um, Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like a huge step at the time. I mean, it felt like a a great accomplishment to get it out there. And it was a ton of work. And I've definitely been thrilled by the success. But for me, it was just continuing on this goal of wanting to share what I've learned and help more people be successful. And the book was a way to get that uh, message out there more broadly.
1: Mm Yeah. 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 And and your book is, is been really successful and uh, it's um, I don't know when I personally think about say maybe sometimes I think I should write a this book yeah. I'm terrified you because it's like <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have much more to say right <laughs> I, There are so, so many books out there yeah, and yeah. I don't I don't want to repeat what others have done right but but your book seems to hit a really good nail and I really like the way you you structure it and the kind of information that you have there. So I was curious to hear from you what, what went through your mind when you had to design your own book and, yeah. um, yeah. And maybe, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you think is unique that the, what kind of information one can find there and can not find in other books.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and I appreciate that. Um, so I think for me, one of my big goals with the book is just making sure that it is accessible, right? So anybody mm. could pick it up and take something from it. So whether you know, you're know you somebody who's been working with data for decades, there should be a tip or a trick or something to think about in a new way. Or if you're somebody who hasn't been working with data and it's becoming part of your role as data is for, for many roles there, that there's not uh, any sort of barrier to entry uh, and and it's not intimidating so I, I strongly believe that uh, anyone can get good at, at, uh, at communicating effectively with data so I think okay. accessibility mm-hmm. is one thing uh, for me that makes the book different from others that I've seen uh, also just the practical application it's yeah. uh, you know these are things that you can apply to your next report yeah. or presentation so it's Im- immediately useful basically. yeah yeah mm. it's not pie in the sky theory it's you know here's <laughs> how what you should think about <laughs> when you use color and how you can direct attention or what might be distracting, and I think for me maybe the third component that differentiates uh, storytelling with data is that storytelling piece. Yeah. Um, a lot of the data visualization books go, you know, much more in depth than than I do for sure. In to visualizing data Um, but for me there was a gap between and and then uh, actually on the other side there are a lot of books that talk about presentations right of building presentations or giving presentations but what I didn't see was anything that really connected the two of those in a way that really spoke to me Uh, you know how do you not only visualize the data effectively but then weave that into a story and bring in components of narrative and plot and tension and so so that for me is probably the the biggest differentiating piece though I will also say you know the book was written well, published three years ago written four years ago and <laughs> for me the storytelling piece the the way I teach it now and talk about it now I feel like is much more nuanced I was still really trying to figure it out at that point <laughs> yeah, uh, so, it's a moving target for sure yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, so I'm working on some projects now to try to address that because yeah. uh, I think there's such power there and I'm a strong believer that there is an incredible amount of value to be obtained by work that's already being done that just maybe isn't being communicated as effectively yeah. as it could and and that's really what I want to try to change mm. Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah yeah that's also something i was thinking about because um I guess everybody has their home turf. And for me, it's interesting to hear now you have this background in, in the corporate world and in banking, you know, and yeah, so on. Yeah. And, and so that totally makes sense to me. And also a lot of the examples you show on the side, or the, mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. the redesign examples. So there's this SWD yes. challenge, like loads yeah. of, we can talk about this one as well. Yeah. But often like the, the, the go-to format seems to be it's a single chart, and it has some annotations, like a cool title, maybe, and yep. you know some, some explanatory text and I, I think it's, uh, that's brilliant because it's like one of these yeah, eternal like formats that, that totally work, right and yep. probably also the first thing you want to understand how to do right yes. right but then on the other hand, there's all these cool new like media and like animations and gifs and interactive yep. features and scrolly telling and, and so on so how do you see the role of these different, more advanced formats in data-driven storytelling? Is it like yeah. not even necessary or is it like, yeah, what's your take on that?
0: Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I will say, you know, you see more static from me probably because of the way you're seeing it right so when it's on the blog or in the book it, it, it sort of has to be static for that right. and the, the way that we're teaching I, I definitely agree with the point that you have to get good there before you move on to some of these other um sort of more nuanced uh, mm-hmm. ways of telling story uh, i definitely though see there being uh roles of animation and interactivity uh, so when we go through live oftentimes uh, we'll look at you know how do you build a graph uh, if you have the benefit of being Live in front of your audience, you know, you maybe start by showing just the axes uh, so that you can talk your audience through mm-hmm. what they're going to be looking at before you actually get to data. And you can start layering on data in these ways where, you know, you talk about a bit of context and you layer in the data that supports it or illustrates it and, and build up in a way where you can actually get to something that's really dense or complicated. But when you build it piece by piece and you're walking your audience through it, you know, whether it's live or, you know, in a GIF or something of that sort it no longer feels complicated because of these steps you've taken to make it accessible through mm-hmm. the animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, interactivity, I I go back and forth on this because there, <laughs> I, in a business setting, at least, I think too often we try to go for interactivity when it's not really what's mm. needed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. my, one of my sort of anecdotes uh, that I see, or observations, I guess, that I see again and again, are analysts in a business setting uh, being too passive. Uh, Meaning, you know, they put data out there and say, you know, here audience, you you know better than me, or you know what you want to do with this, do with it what you will, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I think is dangerous for a number of reasons. Um, One, I think, you know, if you're the one analyzing the data, you're actually in a unique position to be driving value based on that data and helping promote specific understanding or driving for specific actions or discussions to be had out of that. And I think interactivity, where I see that playing in, is sometimes we say, well, we're not sure what our audience wants. We're just going to give them everything, but give them the ability to sort of drill through it. Everybody gets their drop down. And 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 (laughs) maybe that works sometimes. Um, But oftentimes you'll have mixed audiences where some people are going to drill and they want interactivity Mm. and they'll go through it to their heart's content, which is great, but you'll turn off parts of your audience that maybe aren't as inclined to do that. Mm -hmm. And so one actual nice thing when it comes to interactivity, um, you know, there's lots of great examples of this in the media, but where you maybe have a headline and a couple of big takeaways, but then also allow for the interactivity. So the person who's inclined to dig can do so, but the person who isn't still gets that high level, something interesting out of it. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. And
2: and uh, I mean, the other, obviously, the other go to format in corporate settings is, of course, the dashboard. The dashboard. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. always the, yeah. the catch all solution. Like, yeah, we have yeah. a dashboard for that. Yeah. Um, uh, dashboard. Dashboards <laughs> are, are <laughs> a thing, right? I've
1: been discovering yes. that, yeah, that, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> Co- yeah, but quite often
2: your... when people build a dashboard, like in my experience, it's limited. I don't have so much corporate yeah. experience. But when quite but often such I, a thing I was as, thinking to myself, as, as, Oh, that could have been like a simple, like a couple of slides, like just summarizing the key facts. Yeah. Or it could have been a super focused app that does one thing really well instead of five things mediocre. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I I tend to draw a distinction between exploratory, visualization for exploratory and visualization for explanatory. And for me, dashboards fit more on the exploratory side, where I can see tremendous value in, you know, you're monitoring something. So you need to see a bunch of data all together and be able to quickly look through and see where are Hmm. things in line with our expectations. Where are they? not in line with our expectations. But the challenge is people take that and then they try to communicate with it. And I think that's mm. where dashboards break down because that's not the role of the dashboard. Mm. Uh, the dashboard's yeah. to monitor. But then once you find the interesting things, then you take them out of the dashboard and you apply the storytelling, the explanation, yes. the the rest of it <laughs> to it to make it make <laughs> sense And then you come
2: back into play, right? And then yeah, you can yeah. Give tips how to right. make it yeah. more interesting and compelling and get right. it to the point, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and. Cole, I think this is related to something I wanted to say earlier. One thing that I really like about your work and I personally learned by looking at your work um, is the idea that you, uh, y- you never stop at just what, what is the right chart for this thing, right? You, yeah. you start from a chart, yeah. but then you start... Uh, so the way, the way I picture this in my mind, you are dialing, moving the dials of attention, right? How do I draw <laughs> attention to the right thing? Right. And this is so important and, and very few people are talking about that. And it's crucial, right? Because you want to tune your graph in a way that you're directing attention to the right thing. I don't know if that's the way you see it. But that's the way I perceive it when I see your work.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, the tuning analogy is really nice. I, for me, it's iterating, right? It's it's looking at the data one way, looking at it another way, giving yourself the flexibility and the time to do that, and really asking yourself for any given data that you're communicating, what is it that I want my audience to pay attention to? Yeah. What do I want them to see? What do I want them to do with this? And then taking steps to ensure that that happens. Because I think too often we, we communicate for ourselves or for our project or for our data when And really, when it comes to explanatory communication, we should be communicating first and foremost for our audience. And so a lot of the examples I encounter, I don't know the context, right? Uh, Companies will share examples with me prior to workshops, and then we go through and we don't know the context. We don't necessarily know where somebody's supposed to focus. And so we end up showing many different options of, well, what if we wanted to look here and we wanted you to see this? Well, here's a way that we might do that. Uh, Coming down to what sort of graph do we choose? How do we Focus attention, what clutter do we get rid of? But there's not, there's not a single right view. There is never a single right view. Any data can be graphed countless different ways. And Mm -hmm. so it means being really clear when you're communicating with data on what you want your audience to see and then taking thoughtful steps in the way that you design the data to help facilitate that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I guess that's part of what you try to do also in in your challenge, right? Maybe you want to talk about about it? The
0: mm-hmm. so storytelling with data challenge, um, and I imagine we can link to the, the things that we mentioned in yeah. your show notes. And there's actually one going right now. I'm not sure when this will air, but uh, there's <laughs> one running at the beginning of September uh, through the 12th. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't worry if we uh, are past that once this goes live, because there will be another one up. next <laughs> month. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the challenge, it actually it, it was initially born out of a very specific scenario, which was I was in New York City at the time. I was riding the subway and was scrolling through my Feedly. And I came across a graph from, the Economist and it was on hurricanes and I was looking at it and realizing like, you know, hey, I would have done this one thing differently and I would have done something else differently, but didn't have time to put that out there or do anything with it. So I thought, you know, what, I'm just going to put that out there and see, you know, and ask people, what would you do? How might you redesign this? Uh, and so just put a post out saying, you know, here's some data, critique it and redesign it and had like 60 people respond back (laughs) and redesign this particular graph from the economist. And so I took all of those and I I put them all into a, a single image and then reposted those back along with people's commentary and critique. And then I started thinking, well, wouldn't it be cool to do that with different graph types. Um, so that was one thing uh, because just the sort of archival um, uh, inspiration sort of that could be built off of that I thought could be a cool thing. And then the probably the bigger impetus I would say for it though was this idea of um, allowing people a space to practice, right? So to get mm-hmm. good at data visualization like anything else, it's something you need to practice and work at and get feedback and mm-hmm. iterate. And I find sometimes people are hesitant to do that in their day job because the stakes are sort of high, right? So to change something or do something differently can be maybe a little more scary or intimidating there. So I thought, well, what if I just put out, you know, once a month, we try out a different graph type or we do a makeover and it's a safe space, right? Nobody's going to say, hey, you did that wrong, but rather (laughs) we might offer constructive feedback. Uh, And so the challenge is just that. So it started at the beginning of the year and the beginning of each month, we pick a graph type or like I said, sometimes it's been a makeover. And uh, so for January, an example, I said, go out make a line graph uh, you know if you need some data here's 300 publicly available data sources go find something of interest if you want to use something from work that's great just make sure you're not sharing anything sensitive and make a line graph and share it back with us and so hmm. over time we've done uh, various different visuals uh, you know line graphs basic bars uh, square area graphs uh, scatter plot is on my list to, to come soon uh, and so people share them uh, they, they Email them to us. I also welcome people to post on social media using the hashtag SWD Challenge. And then in the second half of each month, we collect all of these and we put them together and we share them back. Uh, And so for me, the sort of output or the um, the thing this drives is twofold. You know, one is this safe space to practice in uh, that I talked about, but then secondly, just having a spot to be able to go through. So if somebody's looking for inspiration or ideas on how someone else has designed a bar chart before they now have, you know, dozens of examples that they can scroll through to see what do they like, what might they emulate, what are maybe pitfalls that some people fell into that they can avoid. And so we have a page now on the the site that's devoted to this, where you can go through and see the monthly archives and, and all of the different visuals created in response.
1: Very nice. So I think we can, conclude this episode without talking about your podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking forward to talk about that. Yeah, I think you are so the meta. first... I think you are the first podcaster we have on the show, I guess. Oh, very right? cool. Maybe. Moritz, yeah. did we Could ever have a
2: podcaster? I, I couldn't think of another one, so
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how is your podcast going?
0: Yeah, it's it's going great. It's going slow lately um, because I've been on a little bit of a pause. Uh, as my family moved over the summer, so uh, uh, the podcast was one of the things that got back shelved, but it will come back. Um, and the podcast has been a ton of fun. It actually, it was my husband's idea. Uh, he yeah. is... Uh, super into podcasts, and um, you know, <laughs> I I find I just I I try different things for uh, being able to get stuff out there, um, and was recognizing that, you know, people like to learn in different ways. And so let's test some different ways of, of getting content out there. And the, the podcast is one, uh, one avenue of that. Right. And so part of me was like, well, data visualization, that's a pretty visual thing. Is anyone going to want to listen to, to <laughs> you know about that? that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out people do, um, which is fun. And so the podcast is really just an extension of, of the work and, uh, is inspired, you know, either. From questions that come up or conversations that I'm having. So, there are episodes on the beauty of constraints and how we often complain about constraints of, you know, we don't have enough time or we don't have enough slides or we don't have enough uh, whatever it is, and and actually how that can be a beautiful thing in terms of the solutions that it helps us come up with. Or, uh, you know, the art of feedback. How do we give good feedback uh, when it comes to critiquing data visualization? Um, There's one on common myths uh, that get propagated. And yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I uh
2: double was good. I yeah, it. Double. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: or um, it depends uh, has been, I think, probably the most popular one, which is interesting to me um, because it doesn't yeah. really answer anything, right? It, <laughs> the answer to everything is it depends. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: No, but I like it. And it's it's just you and it's a challenge. I mean, you know, alone (laughs) to keep people like engaged, but it it works. I think you prepare it well and it's it's well produced, so kudos to your husband. uh, It's well scripted. I'll be happy to hear that. (laughs) No, no, it's definitely a recommendation. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think we should wrap up soon but we can't let you go without some advice for our listeners so you need to share some of your secrets please. sure so, uh, advice yeah. okay
0: uh, yeah. so I'd say my first piece of advice would be practice when awesome. it comes to visualizing data don't be intimidated by good work that you see other people doing because there's probably a whole lot of crappy work behind the scenes that you didn't see <laughs> um, and we don't we don't often see that part so I think people sometimes right. get intimidated um, but I think my top advice advice would be get feedback and get feedback from somebody who is unfamiliar with what you're trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. And, And you can do that in a couple ways. Um, talk someone through your graph, right? Uh, practice talking through it, how you would explain it to someone else. It gets us both comfortable, uh, doing that in a way that makes sense, and then based on the questions that are posed, you can figure out, does that mean I need to adjust how I'm talking about it or adjust how I'm showing the data? Or a second way is actually just create a graph or a slide and put it in front of somebody else and have them talk you through their thought process. <laughs> uh, yeah. Where they pay attention, what conclusions they make can be really useful for figuring out whether the visual you're creating is serving its intended purpose. Or if mm-hmm. it isn't, give you pointers on, you know where might you concentrate your iterations? Uh, and I think just recognizing that it takes iterating and looking at the data one way and looking at it another way to figure out a view that's going to help you create that aha moment in your audience uh, that we all seek when we're visualizing and communicating with data.
2: That's a great tip, so don't be shy don't don't make it yeah. perfect before before you show it anybody else <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. yeah
2: <laughs> be in a dialogue early. I think that's that's a really great tip yeah. Cool. Thanks so much, Cole. Thanks uh, for having me. That was super nice and super interesting. Um, We'll put a ton of links to all your stuff in our (laughs) show notes, uh, to all your prolific outputs. And yeah, uh, thanks for for sharing your insights and your journey with us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun chatting with you both. (laughs) Thank you, Cole.
2: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Hey, folks, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is now completely crowdfunded, so you can support us by going on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash datastories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be
2: extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com datastories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com datastoriespodcast, all in one word. And we also have a Slack channel uh, where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es and there is a button at the bottom of the page. And we also have an email newsletter
1: so if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our own page datastory.es and look for the link you find at the bottom in the footer.
2: So one last thing we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want us to talk about
1: yeah absolutely and don't hesitate to get in touch with us it's always a great thing for to hear from you so see you next time and thanks for listening to data stories